Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about rural education and maybe a bit about assets that we gain from growing up rural and the experiences that we have in teaching and leading in rural communities and how those are rich cultures and environments to be able to do our teaching and leading in. We have Jessica Willows with us today, and she is going to share her research. We also have Candy Jones from Brandon University, and she will be sharing some of her research. And our community guest on the program today is Julie Seeley, and she's going to be talking about some of her experiences growing up and living in the North and how she has come to see those as assets for herself. So let's just get started with each of you sharing your own thinking about how rurality has played an important role in your development as a teacher, as a leader, as a person. And Michelle, I'll give you a chance to answer that question too, but maybe I'll come around to you at the end. Um, Julie, let's start with you. So some of the listeners today might know me as Julie Perkluck. I grew up in Lynn Lake, Manitoba. That's where I was born and raised. I graduated from Frontier School Division and then all of my teaching experience has been with Frontier. So I've been with them for 16 years. I've been a classroom teacher in a variety of communities. I've been a math coach and a school administrator as a vice principal. And now I'm currently working as an elders liaison within Nori House. So I've been in a variety of places throughout the North, Lynn Lake, Gillum, Cranberry Portage area. And again, Nori House, I lived here once before as a teacher and now I'm back again. Um, one time I would have thought growing up in Lynn Lake, people thought, oh, you missed out on certain things because you grew up in the North. And I've come to realize that those actually are what have given me gifts and helped me in my journey in education. It's what helps me to relate to people I work alongside, relate to the kids that I work with, students I work with, and staff and community. So it, it really is my identity. I find it's hard for me to tease out pieces that our work or academic or personal. It's all me. Thank you. Jess? Yeah, I, I've been living in the Gulf Islands for over 20 years now, but I grew up in Richmond, so I didn't grow up in a rural place, although I think I wish I did because I was always trying to leave the suburbs to get somewhere quieter and closer to nature. But I was thinking about these these questions and thinking about how as a teacher in a rural place, I've always taught multi-grade classrooms, and most often it was five grades. And so I really felt like when I was a beginning teacher, I really got a good sense of, better sense of learning and development over time because I was with my students for 
five years, I think often grades four to grades eight. And I, yeah, so I could get a sense of that continuum of learning, a, a real uh, understanding of the development of the curriculum over those uh, years as well. But especially just that seeing that development with students over time, which I felt was possibly more gratifying also because in a year you don't often see a lot of change in, when they're older that way. But over five years, it was, and then being here 20 plus years, it's been amazing to see them become adults and know that when you were looking I was looking at them when they were younger and you just had a feeling like oh I can see them and then they do that and you're like oh I do have okay instincts like I I can trust my instincts as a, as a teacher as an educator um, I also developed really deep relationships I found with students and families over that time and so that also like reinforced the importance of those uh, relationships for teaching uh, and learning uh, also, a big part of it was involving the community and seeing the community as a huge asset. So bringing yeah, community in, talking about community issues. I remember being surprised about that when, one time when I brought up a, a, an issue in our community and I was, the students were so engaged and I was thinking, oh, that, it makes sense, right? This is their, yeah, this is their world. So the involvement of the community. And then there's always those pros and cons we could that we could talk about being rural and with all those things I even just spoke about. But I remember one of the principles I talked with thinking it was like, a, it was you know it's frustrating sometimes because we don't always get the services from our district that other areas of our district do because we're more remote and isolated but he also pointed out they forget about you so you can do your own thing sometimes and we did, certainly did so just that level of autonomy I think has possibly increased more with that remoteness and then I was thinking as a leader I always right from the beginning I had uh, amazing mentors and a lot of encouragement to move into leadership roles and I think as we'll talk about there's often more opportunity I think in a rural place because there's more, yeah, there's less people, more roles sometimes. But also those, I found those leadership roles provided me connection in a place that that's often very isolated. And I felt like I was a better teacher and just a happier person <laughs> because of that connection. So I often really encourage new teachers to, to go into those roles, even though they're feeling totally overwhelmed in their classroom, but to think about ways that they could be more connected that way or involved. Yeah, and the other thing I just had a little thought about too was just having a small I used to notice that when my, we'd get I'd get together with other teachers and we were thinking about something specific in our it, people would often have a district view rather than a school or a classroom view and I used to wonder if it's because we were small enough that we our brains could conceptualize it and if that kind of helped that changed how we operated together as colleagues yeah yeah that's a good point thank you candy Oh, so many interesting points. I, a whole bunch of this stuff resonates with me. I grew up in a small town of Warren, Manitoba, which is about a half hour drive northwest of Winnipeg. So it was not an isolated community. It was a rural farming agricultural community. Um, I went to school with the same kids from K to eight. And then in grade nine to 12, there were sort of several communities that came together in my home community to attend high school together. That's a little bit about how I grew up. It was close enough to Winnipeg that it was unique in that it wasn't too far. I took my first teaching job in Snow Lake, Manitoba, which was halfway up the province in a mining town, which was quite isolated, although it did have roads in. A lot of, of mining communities don't. But that community was all rocks and lakes and Canadian Shield. It was the most gorgeous place to work. The school itself was beautiful and big and uh, the the 
students there went to school from kindergarten through grade 12 together and quite a small number of students in that school as well, but large enough to have a class at every grade. So not the multi-grade context Jess was talking about. And then, of course, I moved to Carberry and to McGregor, Manitoba, and both of those were in southern Manitoba and agricultural communities as well. Most of my rural experience had to do with uh, agricultural communities and a bit in, in mining community. And I think both my experiences growing up and my experiences living and working in rural communities uh, had a, a profound effect on who I was as a teacher. I started to talk about this thing called rural capital quite early in my career, like the, being the knowledge and the skills and values and beliefs that exist amongst those that live and work in rural places. And for me, that included a variety of things like an appreciation for community, a sense of volunteerism, the importance of relationality uh, and relationships amongst people and parents and community members advocacy for uh, local places and their strengths. I, I guess a sense of honesty and down-to-earth thinking and, and family along generational lines in places. I would say that a lot of the experiences that I had, both as a student myself and as a teacher, led to a unique understanding that I refer to as rural capital, but I think it can be described uh, in various ways by various people. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, so much of this is, you know, I have a, a few jot notes around what I wanted to say about this question. And all three of you are like, oh, I, I can't mention all of these things because so many things are similar. But like Candy and thinking about the kinds of values that were imbued in me because of the way I grew up in Foxhorn, Manitoba, which was the same kids, K to eight, same thing that Jess and Candy were describing. And that idea of the values of things like usefulness and practicality and work ethic and hospitality, relationality, all of those things that you just mentioned in your framework, Candy, those are things that were on my list. Another thing that I wanted to mention was in thinking about the role in the community. Even though I grew up rural, I've never taught in a small town. I've taught in Brandon. This is the smallest. I did use ChatGPT this morning to ask, is Brandon rural? And according to ChatGPT, the answer is no, but I still felt like it has a kind of rural feel in some ways. So one of the things I was thinking about was how often I would run into my students in the grocery store. So I taught adult EAL learners, and I don't think I went to the store without running into someone that knew me or someone that I had taught and not so much anymore, but about 10 years ago, that was very common. Things like when I started my job here at BU Cares, being able to rely on a network of people, even starting this podcast. So many of our first episodes were Jackie and I saying, okay, who do we know who has an interest in this? Or who do we know that works in this area? And both of us have this network that comes from living in the same place and living in a rural area. And then the last piece was around some of the knowledge that I gained from the way I grew up. I grew up on a strawberry farm. And so grew up pulling weeds, hands and knees in the dirt. And I went to the Winnipeg Museum as a young adult and saw this beautiful display of these prairie grasses that had roots that went down really deep. And I didn't know the names of any of them, but I could identify, yes, I know that one has really long roots because I grew up trying to pull it out of the ground and things like that, like the knowledge that I just carried from how I grew up. And I think that does later on in life, you learn to appreciate some of that knowledge.
when I was younger, my parents would probably laugh if they listened to this podcast. They'll think, you couldn't wait to get out of here. But later on in life now, I feel like, oh, there were a lot of things that rurality has gifted me with. And personally, I grew up in on a farm outside of a small community in southwestern Saskatchewan. The name of my community is Climax. It has a border port to Manitoba or to Montana. And it's about 60 miles from the Alberta border. So it's deep in that southwest corner. And Michelle, you remind me with your story about the roots. So first of all, I taught K-1 and 2 in my very first position in a school that had 80 students and a town, I think, that had about the same number of people in it. And... To begin with, I was really put off by that experience because they all knew who I was before I ever got to town. And when I went to get my post office box, they said, oh, we'll just give you the old teacher's box. That'll make it easy for us. And so there were a few things like that about it. And then I eventually I moved and I taught in Vancouver for several years. And I returned to Saskatchewan as to be the high school principal in a grade seven to 12 school and moved from there on to the school division office. But when I was applying for the job from Vancouver to come back to a small community in Saskatchewan, I was aware that there would be a bit of distrust of whether or not I was the person or not when my address was, you know, in on, well, it was just off of West 4th. And so I wrote quite a long letter, but part of it was that what I know about prairie grasses is that they grow deep roots and that the people are the same and that it was time for me to come home. And they hired me and I came home and I, it was the great decision that I made to come home and come back to a rural community and be part of that kind of community again. And so I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Let's start with Jessica telling us about your research. Sure. For This is for my PhD dissertation. Um, I've been fortunate to interview teachers and some administrators in SD8, which is Kootenai Lake School District. So it's near Nelson, BC is one of the, the bigger areas of the school district. And I've just framed it as a really open-ended discussion on teacher leadership. And my purpose was just to investigate the, what sort of things are fostering leadership in a from the participants' perspective? What sort of things are fostering leadership? What are their examples? How do they conceptualize or think about uh, teacher leadership in that rural rural context? And it's been an, it's been a lot of it's been fascinating actually. Just I got to meet with I've had sixteen different different participants, and then I also conducted a focus group where I shared some of the initial findings, and we went a little bit deeper into it. And I've positioned it as a quite a positive study, but it definitely includes. A, ups and downs of leadership and being in a rural community. So a lot of the a lot of the things that have come up was how personal the conversations became or this open-ended discussion we would have for about an hour or so, just how personal teacher leadership can is or can be, or especially in, in this study, it was definitely, it came up quite a bit. I learned quite a lot about each of the participants without asking questions that, that dove into those more personal responses. It's definitely a very strong theme was how responsive their leadership 
they viewed their leadership or their perspective of their leadership was to students and, and community need and, and through the, the students. And it was expressed in different ways. So they had many different examples of how they viewed leadership um, or saw leadership uh, often as innovation or an innovative program, again, responding to students, taking on different leadership roles, things like that. And then Another personal thing I noticed was that there were there was always examples from the classroom. So just how parallel uh, leadership and teaching is or how it seemed to connect very much to their intentions as teachers or their values and beliefs around around uh, teaching or being in the teacher role. And it came back to a lot of what we hear in the literature around I'm, not, I'm just a teacher. I'm not a not a leader. I don't always see myself as a leader. So that was something that, that came up quite a bit in the interviews as well with that kind of humility that was very common in, in the responses. And I think, and I, I was talking about this in the in our group uh, at the Cake Working Conference, just that putting out that call of teacher leadership, I was, curi- I was curious to see, like was very mindful of who might respond back to me. So I recognized that I definitely got the folks who, who were pointed to by others as being strong leaders who I think saw themselves very, oh, right, that's me I, I identify but I did get a couple who were a little bit more oh I'm not sure about this I don't I'm not quite sure about what this term is but I'd like to talk about it a little bit more so it but I definitely got more folks who were who maybe saw themselves more as leaders and then the, the the thing that I'm finding interesting especially right now is so again that so we're going back to that connection between the classroom and leadership one of my questions was around how they viewed or if there was a, an influence or impact between their teaching and their leadership and and they often said yes that and they often but they often said it was like the one of my participants said it's like the water i swim in i can't tease it out the leadership and the teaching and, and that was a kind of a common response as well something that's come up in the focus group that was one of kind of the last things i did that i'm looking into more was this idea of the teacher leadership just being above and beyond what a teacher role is and why we why people why teachers engage in it and because there's no incentives there's no extra pay things like that so this was a discussion that came out of the of the focus group the something that they were, that they were wrestling with in the conversation was they were using words like it's a lifestyle it's you know I, I, this is just how I am as a teacher it's we talked about like that passion where it comes from like they were often connecting it to something deeper and also we came up we talked a little bit about the difference between in the connection to teacher leadership with job versus profession or even that idea of calling yeah so there's there was a lot and I'm still picking apart uh things and I feel like I could talk about it forever but thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it again (laughs) thank you that's great if you have any questions or sort of discussions directions you want us to take the conversation please bounce in and let us know okay Candy why don't you go next and tell us about your self-study Thanks, Jackie. I engaged in a a self-study, which was a bit of a new methodology to me at the time. But what I was interested in uh, doing was exploring how my experiences growing up, living and working in rural places uh, impacted like my identity and my practices as an educator. And I was interested in how those impacts compared with other educators who had worked and lived in several uh, similar contexts. It was through self-study that I looked at that. And what I did was In my PhD program, actually near the beginning, I had created in around 2010, a video about my own identity as a rural educator. And I had never really done anything with that video. And it was always in the back of my mind um, that I wanted to. And in the video, I had interviewed my grandmother and my grandfather and my mother um, and talked a lot about um, my identity as as a rural person and a rural educator. 
And so I wanted to go back to that. I felt like I needed to. So I took that and I took my master's and my PhD thesis. My master's thesis was about action research I had done in my classroom with math students. And my PhD was my work as a numeracy coach in uh, a school division where I worked with math teachers across the division. So like you were talking, Jess, across the division, I was thinking divisionally at that point in time because it was quite small. The division I worked in uh, at the time had uh, only 90 teachers and about a thousand uh, students. So it was very small. And so I took those and I looked through at how my identity as a rural individual and as a rural educator was portrayed and how my practice showed evidence of that identity. And then I had Zoom conversations, it was during COVID, Zoom conversations with five critical friends. One of them was Jackie <laughs> and, and a few others. So Leighton from uh, University of British Columbia and Mike he was a retired associate professor from Brandon University. Don, who was the associate VP research at University of Saskatchewan, and an old high school friend, Gail, who was a teacher at the time in Gillam, Manitoba, uh, way up north by the Hudson's Bay. And I had conversations with those five different people, asking them a variety of questions about how they identified what their experiences were, how their experiences impacted their identity, and how they felt that those experiences impacted their practices as teachers. And I put all of that together uh, and came out with um, some findings. And so in terms of the impacts on identity, I went back to that idea of rural capital and the knowledge and values and beliefs that people um, uh, seem to share uh, in rural communities. And uh, what I found out that... Um, the majority, all of the people that I spoke with and, and including evidence in my own video and my own uh, thesis uh, showed a strong desire to view oneself as uh, adaptable and independent and capable and participatory, able to take risks, able to solve problems uh, individually. Uh, it was really quite interesting. And they saw, uh, in general, rural places as connected to their identities and valuable and comfortable and worth advocating for. And so there was quite strong evidence from the conversations about these kind of commonalities amongst identities. And then when I asked them about the impacts on their practice, I came up with four different areas that, that I saw evidence in. And one of them was in advocacy and commitment. So people described advocating against school closures in their area for awareness about rural and Indigenous ways of knowing, for working against deficit thinking towards uh, rural places or commitments to rural research in for those that were teacher educators in university contexts. A second area of impact on practice was in terms of relationality and connection the participants and my own story, there was evidence of seeking connections to others, especially others with rural backgrounds. Leighton, Leighton described one particular incident where he said he could seek out, he would seek out other rural people in the room and go and talk to them. And um, I found myself doing the same thing. Most of the participants described teaching as a human endeavor and really responded to the idea about relationships with people, about equity, about the land, about community. Um, and there were many references to schools and teachers as a form of family. Uh, their classmates when they were younger were like siblings. Their teachers were like parents or another set of parents, right? So um, there were lots of connections that way. In terms of curriculum pedagogy, 
there was a real commonality in terms of place-based or conscious multi-pedagogy, student-centered, decolonizing, land-based, experiential, whole-body, multi-grade, all of those kind of design-based approaches um, were described by the people in the conversations. One example of that was, I think it was Jackie who was talking about a farm school in her division where the division had actually um, created this farm setting where students could go and learn. And Don talked about things like a, a land-based leadership course where participants in an MED program work with elders in a northern community to learn on the land itself. And the last area was in terms of leadership and service, and that was probably the most pertinent to this conversation. Many of the of the people I spoke with described an early transition into leadership roles, formal leadership roles, like principal roles. They were shoulder tapped relatively early in their career to take on those roles, and even informal leadership roles as well, like teacher leadership and without a, a, a title associated with them. There were lots of uh, divisional and provincial and regional committees that people sat on voluntarily, and all of them expressed an expectation of service and leadership of themselves and of others. All of them ex expected themselves to be role models and leaders and provide service to communities and schools, and they expected that of the people they worked with as well. That's a little bit about the research that I did. Thank you. Super. Really? Oh, oh, go ahead, Michelle. No, I was just going to say that's super interesting. And it makes me wonder as rural places become more diverse, if we'll see a shift in the values, like even around the values of independence and doing things ourselves, those can be white cultural values, not just rural values. So it makes me wonder about the cultural dynamics of the study. And that kind of leads me full circle back to you, Julie. I wonder if you'd be willing to share some of how you see your own intersectionality as a gift and asset, if you'd like to go there, or if you'd like to take it in another direction, that's okay too. No, I've been listening to everybody introduce themselves and a little bit about their work. And I always thought growing up in the North, that was one of the gifts. We always, like, Lynn Lake is far up there. I don't know if, it, if anybody knows where Lynn Lake is. So if you know where Thompson is, it's four hours north of Thompson. And the end of the road. And I did always see it as a gift. It always gave me unique opportunities as a teenager to be represented in different groups through the Friendship Centers in Manitoba, sitting on some of the youth initiatives. And... I always felt that, but when I came to university or even into my master's work, when I would read about rural or northern places or female in leadership or people who identify like as Indigenous, it was always a deficit narrative that I was reading. And I thought, this is very counter to my experience. I've worked with many. If we're going to speak female, Indigenous school leaders that have taught me so many things about what it means to lead in a northern context or in a community-based context and lots of people from the community working as teachers so I saw myself reflected in the teaching staff I saw myself reflected in administration I see myself reflected in senior leadership in the division 
So I, I always knew it was a gift and an asset. But then when you get a narrative that's saying, oh, place is a problem, or you need to leave your small town to make it big, to show something, to be something, that really conflicted with the story I had about myself. So a lot of the work that I did in my master's was, okay, who else is writing about? Where is Where are we seeing this in literature? I really love Kathleen Budge. I don't know if anybody else is. <laughs> I see lots of, I see lots of head nods. And I remember reading rural places as a problem, privilege, or possibility. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. And exploring the paradox of it's okay. It's great for us to live here. We have a beautiful quality of life. I love living here. I love teaching here. I love leading here. But then what are we telling the students? Because I've been on the other side of that. And it was really mixed up my thinking because I still see so much beauty. Like you were talking about graduating, going to school the whole time with everybody. I graduated with some of the people in grade 12 that have graduated three times. We graduated nursery together, kindergarten, grade 12. We went to university together. Like we've done a lot of these things in our lives together. So looking as when did I know as a gift or an asset, I always did. But then when I heard other things coming at me, it really conflicted. And so I had to do more work to explore, okay, no, I'm right. This is an asset, this is a gift. We are bringing something valuable to the students because students do want to see themselves reflected and staff wants to see themselves, or the community wants to see themselves reflected in, the, in leadership. It just gives, I think, that, like you said, we can't tease it out. One of the really interesting mottos that has always been on some of our divisional items was our children, our success, our future. And I really felt those things. And I, I really work hard so that others can feel those things too, because there's tons of opportunity to be in different roles, leadership, explore these di different elements of what it means to have an educative experience. Did that get to it, Michelle? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was looking for my mute button. That was exactly the kind of thing I was imagining when I asked that question. Thank you so much, Julie. So I think we've already talked about it, but I'm always really interested in both how community shapes us so that we've talked a little bit about that and definitely we talked about it with Candy's research but also about my experiences working and living as a teacher and an administrator and a teacher leader in small communities was very different than my experience working in Vancouver and in some ways Vancouver was good because when I left the school, I was just another person in the community. But when I lived and worked in Lemberg, Saskatchewan, I was never another person in the community. I was the principal. And that changed everything about my relationships there. And I just, just let's open up the conversation. And if you have something to add about that, it'd be interesting. I could add a couple of things, Jackie, uh, just to what you said and what Julie said earlier as well. I think I, in my video that I made for that rural education course years ago, I actually said there that I always knew I would leave Warren. 
I always knew that I would have to leave Warren because I had to go to university. There was no other option for me. There were no jobs for me there. So I was going to have to leave. So that was always a foregone conclusion. What what I found interesting too is the places that I worked, it was not hard to fit in. It wasn't hard to fit in because I was from a place like them. So when I moved to Carberry, it was not unlike Warren. And when I moved to McGregor, it was really not unlike Warren either. The communities were actually a little larger than Warren, but they functioned pretty much the same. They all had a coffee shop. They had farmers talking in the coffee shop about teachers. They had the same kinds of parents in the, that would come to the school to speak with the teachers. It was recognizable to me. It was a little bit more of a learning curve in Snow Lake for me because the community was a little more transient and there were a lot of people not from Snow Lake living there. So that was a little bit different for me, but the small rural communities that were both agricultural based resonated with my background. And they also resonated with my experiences in communities where people grow up and live, you know, for generations. So the grandparents are in town, they come and watch the school play, the parents come and watch the school play, maybe the great grandparents are coming to watch the school play and the aunts and uncles. Sometimes the aunt is the person who runs the bank and the uncle is the person who owns the grocery store. So you get to know the community ties. I think that does also, it can be a problem at times in small communities. I've both, I've been in situations where I both taught and lived in the community and where I taught and lived outside the community, like not far, but outside was far enough that I wasn't running into my students necessarily in the grocery store. I think some of those tensions that existed They existed when I grew up, they existed in the places I taught as well, but so did the benefits. So I could just call up the person at the local museum and say, can I bring my students down tomorrow? Or another thing that I found that was rich with possibilities was just the size of the division just made a huge difference. So when I created an action plan in one of my uh, courses in university, and I decided that I'd like to create this numeracy cohort idea, I walked up and spoke to the superintendent who was in my building frequently and pitched the idea. And he said, tell me more about that. Let's set up a meeting and we'll see if we can make it happen. And it did. The fact that the division was so small made it maneuverable. So people from within could come up with ideas and they would actually be put into practice. It was put into the budget for the next year and it happened. So I think that's one of the rich possibilities in small rural places is that they can they can draw on the local strengths in ways that larger larger organizations maybe can't. I was thinking something I, w- I would add to that or could add was I t- not growing up rural, but moving to a rural place. I had some really great advice when I first started teaching from a teacher who had taught here for quite a few years. We were team teaching and she just suggested saying, setting some boundaries around. And for one, I, I would say to my parents is I'll, I, I only talk about school at school. So I won't talk about school at the grocery store. And I found for that they were great, but they would say, oh, Jess, I forgot what time the field trip is tomorrow. Sorry, we're not supposed to talk about school at the grocery store. And they worked at the grocery store, but they would do things like that. But other than that, like that helped. I I, I felt for me, like I, I, yeah, for the most part, but I, there was still that that tension and around sometimes just being on as a teacher too after a week I would be like I'd ask my partner to go to the store because I just didn't want to run into anyone I didn't want to talk to anyone so there is that yeah definitely that those tensions but the other thing I was thinking like Andy was saying the assets of it too I think were just that sense of belonging 
that I had. And also that once you're able to read, understand the community and you can see all those multiple points of connection. And then I would make sure like I would find other ways to connect with parents rather than just school. So we had other things to talk about and connect with that I was trying to bring parents in as much as possible to do a guest speaker or to volunteer or to teach or anything just to keep that keep those connections really healthy that way too and the other thing I just felt with being in a small place even though we're isolated in these different communities was when I was able to connect with other teachers I had someone else to talk to about these sorts of tensions and things like that and I often when I was in a district role moving around I often felt like I was going off to see friends every day and we all love working with kids so we had that connection but just uh, because we had been work- living and working together for so many years we I, I love that term I think Leighton Schneller uses this term frolics where you know at some point they when I'm always like what point have they become friends they're friends and colleagues but they're really good friends and yeah I just could feel that that connection yeah pros and cons with it but yeah definitely that connection was really important to me as a t- rural teacher. I really like that you said frolics. I think we could also add in families because that's part of the reason I introduced myself as Julie Purple because lots of people would know my mom, Hazel Purple, because she worked in the Lynn Lake School for a long time as educational assistant and lots of people would have known her across the division. But we work with our family too. Lots of, we work together. We're colleagues, we're family, we're friends. And so it brings a really beautiful element to it. For example, if something's going on in one of the communities I worked in, we would often hear about it through the community. And so that we could make sure that we had adequate supports in place for students or staff. And then we would also talk and not in a gossip way about, okay, do you feel comfortable talking to that person so that we can, you know, offer support or offer care, uh, offer kindness with dignity and respect. Because I, Katzenmeyer Moeller, a whole person walks through the door in into our buildings. We can't say, oh, no, we're just going to do that because today we're focusing on math. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So having that northern or rural piece to it, I think is so beautiful. agree. Justin, go ahead. I just wanted to add one piece because when I was thinking about that question, I was thinking about my own experiences of teaching. I taught for four years in Vietnam. Three of those years were in a very rural place. And I was just remembering, I was brought right back to the feeling of comfort when we moved from the big city of Hanoi to the small uh, rural area where we taught And it was totally different than the prairies of Canada, right? But there were so many similarities because of rurality. So things like driving through rice fields instead of driving through wheat fields. But for me, it was comforting compared to the urban environment and some of the rhythms around, um, which I had to learn. I didn't know anything about rice farming, but the learning the rhythms and building life around the rhythms and school following the rhythms all of those pieces became very beautiful and so just what you were saying Julie around the relationality and we teach with people who are our family or our friends that was very true in Vietnam and even less boundaries than rural Canada I would say in terms of like western concept of boundaries and teachers were always teachers regardless of where you were 
your house was always open to students, regardless of whether it was the evening or the weekend. And I think for myself, there's an additional layer of my skin as well, because of the rural area, I was one of the few white people in town. And so everywhere I was, people knew who I was and knew which school I was teaching at and would ask questions about school all the time. But I think it was something beautiful, like you were saying, Julie, it became like a less compartmentalized way of thinking about the people we're with. So I can't cut my identity into chunks and say, right now I'm only going to be this. And I get what you're saying just around boundaries of you can't always be, sometimes you just want to be a human being and not answer questions about the field trip. I totally get that. That's not what I'm talking about. But the idea of being able to be known in multiple spheres of having people just know things about you rather than having to explain over and over all of that kind of thing. It, it became something quite beautiful. So I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but it, it brought me back to those memories. So thanks for that, Julie and Jen. Go ahead, though, yeah. Jackie. I think I cut you off. No, that's good. I like that conversation, too. You're making me think about my experiences, too, because the difference between working in Vancouver, I could be a block away at Starbucks and nobody knew me. In the school parking lot, everybody knew me just like they did in the school parking lot in Lemberg. And Again, there's like just the strengths and the weaknesses of that, like in terms of me being able to have a fuller social life uh, where I didn't worry about whether or not somebody was going to think that I shouldn't have been doing that. Vancouver gave me lots of that anonymity and privacy. But in terms of really knowing the ins and outs and pieces of the community and the people and their relationships or them truly knowing me. There was a piece missing when I loved and hated those grocery store moments, but those are real moments in the life of a community. And I think the other piece that always comes back to me when I think about rurality is that I learned there that if we're going to have it, we all have to do it. It's not about they'll do it. It's about, no, I am they, and I need to step up and get busy doing it. And I think I bring that with me to wherever I am. I feel like if there's an initiative, I should support it. If there's work to be done, I should volunteer to do it. And I think that's part of a piece that's seated so deeply into my soul that it doesn't matter where I go, I take that part with me. Yeah, so many interesting things about rural and personal identity. Just Will you talk to us just a little bit about any of the things from your participants that you learned, like stories that they had or pieces that might connect to some of our discussions? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stories that were flowing. Yeah, <laughs> triggering. I'm just trying to hold on to some of them. Oh, one that I was just thinking about when you were just speaking was like in the focus group, I was just thinking about just having that deep knowledge or understanding of the community or the place that you are in and how they, the focus group participants were talking about an economic change in the community and how much that was impacting students. So they were thinking, just thinking about how 
the district was worried about numeracy scores. And so they were hiring a numeracy coordinator, which is a common, common response, but they were also connecting it to something a little bit more deeper about what's actually really going on in the community. And are there other ways we could support um, our students or address it in a different way? And it just made me think about how differently when you're uh, that, that in, in, in that role, in that position as a teacher, how you're interpreting or seeing need in, in your students and in the community versus maybe when you're in that uh, more administrative role, how it and the, the tensions between. And I'm also really curious when I'm looking through my interviews, like how as how the teachers are conceptualizing that need and then responding to it, how it's different. Yeah, again, from a more administrative role. It, it, for me right now, it feels like just so much more um, closer to it, I guess, closer to the issue rather than, I don't, maybe that word removed, I don't know is useful or not. Yeah, and maybe just more holistic. They're really seeing, yeah, what's going on. And I think that can make things feel more intense sometimes. That was a, it's actually just a word that's come up quite recently with some colleagues and things like that is that intensity of the, yeah, the role. The other thing I'm also curious about is teacher leadership as a response to the role and the, the expectations of the teacher role in particular, but also the rural teacher role and the ex expectations you feel from students, family, community, colleagues, the district, and how that kind of shapes yeah, who you are. I was thinking I'm fascinated by Candy's research, especially in identity it does, and how that comes up so often talking about teacher leadership is that identity and is, yeah, is teacher leadership one response to a role we're wrestling with? Do I are those expectations fair? Am I just going along with those expectations because I'm trying to be a teacher in a rural place? Yeah, those kind of questions have, have cropped up for me, for sure. Yeah. Oh, and just one other story I was thinking, Jackie, just to add, is secret sauce or magic potion, which is one of the participants, well, a couple of them, just talking about that magic moment that happens when you're collaborating with another teacher or colleague and some of the amazing creations and innovations that have happened since then. So for these participants, it was like innovative ways of grouping students so that they can experience an innovative media arts program and collaborating across like social justice and media arts classes. And another one was this district is so well known, I find in my province around land-based programs and they've been a huge leader in that. They've got some amazing programs there. So it was, oh, it was amazing talking to some of those teachers, but I talked to two two teachers together who don't do anything separate. So I had to interview them together because they are like, they work together. And what they were doing was bringing some of those elements that um, of land-based education uh, programs in our, the higher education. And they were combining their two classes, um, which were primary and they were uh, outside every Wednesday um, and, and trying to build in some of those elements that they could see uh, that their colleague was doing in a further remote community uh, with middle and high school students and they were bringing it to uh, primary. That was one of their examples of, yeah, of, of, of leadership or innovation um, and how they worked uh, collaboratively together. They weren't going to do it uh, on their separately. I think when I look back in particular at my PhD dissertation or thesis, it's hard to look back at for me now because I was in that complicated space that you're speaking about, Jess. I both felt excited about trying some new things and about putting myself out there and trying to foster something that didn't previously exist. So creating structures and ways for teachers in the division to meet with others who wanted to work on their year math pedagogy as well. So I found unique ways to get them to meet across the division. So they paired up and as 
critical friends, or I called them at the time, but they were pairing up to work with somebody else. Some, sometimes in their school, but sometimes at a different school, which is something they didn't get an opportunity to do very often because the schools were so small. There was 14 schools in the division and only a thousand, only a thousand students. So some of them were very small <laughs> and seven of them were Hutterian schools on uh, Hutterite colonies. So um, it was a really unique situation, but I remember feeling both like excited about creating a structure that could work within the parameters of what existed and also incredibly fatigued. And I had moments where I felt taken advantage of and frustrated and people start to shoulder tap you and ask you, can you come and run this school PD? Can you come and do this as well? And it started to become like at times a burden. My physical health started to suffer. And so there were a lot of things going on for me at the time. It's hard to go back and look at it now because I didn't see it then. And I certainly didn't like recognize, um, I didn't, I hadn't read about teacher leadership literature at the time much. I think I had the Crowther book, but that was about it. And, and so I didn't really recognize some of the pitfalls that were associated with that as well. So at the time I taught three quarters time and I was quarter time numeracy coach running that initiative in the division, which is about a one and a half time job. And so I was trying to, trying to do all of that. And the downsides, like for me personally, were difficult. And then the frustration that I had gotten myself into that position was also frustrating. You feel like you're capable and you want it, you're independent and you want to do these things. And that comes from your, I don't know, maybe the way you were raised, um, the kind of school you went to, but it, it has, it had the downside for me as well. Those things helped me finish my PhD and end up with a position at Brandon University, um, but they took quite a toll on me as well. So I always think about that uh, in hindsight about, is there a more humane way to go through that process? And that's something I think about quite a lot in terms of teacher leadership. I think that's true too. I think that's also part of my background and my experience that I just gave so much because I cared so much and I had, I could see such a vision and yet we're really weak on the ground in terms of how many resources we have. Any other thoughts about rural education or about your particular research that you'd just like to share with us or the conversation as it is before we head out. One of the things that I had asked at the end is about how do we move it forward? And I think we want to move it forward. We want to share that I want everybody to know that it's not a less than experience. It's a great experience. And yet I don't want to preach that so loud that everybody wants to move to rural because that might destroy it all. Just kidding. I don't think that would ever happen. I was just thinking when you said that, Jackie, too, about that, a few things. I was thinking about Kathleen Budge again, because again, Julia, I love her, and about that also being critical of our acknowledging the pros and the, and the cons of it all. But I think, yeah, too often rural has been always often thought of as lesser than or presented as lesser than. And that, that came up for sure in my interviews. And there was a question I asked as well. But so, yeah, so being just aware of both. But the other question I've often had is who are these teachers that are attracted to being in a rural spaces? And maybe there's some things we can learn too from, yeah, if there's some uniqueness to that as well, or what we're, maybe what we're looking for, why we enjoy it so much, or yeah, what it is about the role that's attractive to 
to certain, not all like, teachers, yeah, I don't think all would, I don't think, yeah, everyone would be enamored with it, but. Uh, <laughs> I think Michelle yeah. got some of it, that idea of, of that's where a person might be comfortable. So if you're from a rural place mm -hmm. uh, and you have like the rural capital going on for you, then it could be a comfortable thing for you to work in a rural place. So at Brandon University, a lot of the student teachers that, are, that we work with or the teacher candidates we work with here are from rural communities. And a lot of them intend on either returning to their own rural community or to another rural community. I think there's something to be said for the connection that their identity has to the land, to rurality in general, that that makes them a good fit. Okay. For me, I'm thinking about it just when you're talking about the intensity of some of it. And I think Candy, you got it too when you were saying some of the pre-service teachers that are in the program are from rural communities and they're looking to go back to their home community. It does, it does feel intense. And even in the work that I do, it feels intense because it's important. These are our communities. Hmm. We have a, a responsibility. So yeah, I think it's a beautiful opportunity to be a person in your community who can get back and can be there for students and staff. I think too, just thinking about the, the comments as we're wrapping up the things you were saying, Candy, around some of the personal cost and carrying that, and Jess, you were thinking about it as there's positives and negatives in rural places. And it makes me just feel like grateful for growing up in a place that gave me opportunities to practice leadership skills even from a young age. I learned Robert's Rules of Order when I was like eight in 4-H, you know, just those kinds of experiences. And so the reason why we have such capacity as individuals is because we've been building that capacity since we were really young. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't advocate for more resources and we shouldn't push for the things we need to make that sustainable. And so on one hand, it makes me really grateful for the leadership skills and the capacity that we have the opportunity to grow. And it also makes me think about how we can advocate for more supports and more resources to make sure that those individuals who do have that amazing capacity don't find themselves in burnout situations or in places where they're carrying too much and how we can support one another in rural places as leaders, as educators. So I'm really grateful for this conversation. I feel like it's one of those situations where you hear other rural people and you just know what we're talking about or we're all coming from similar backgrounds. And I always appreciate that. So thanks to everyone for being here. Thanks for a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it.